the threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. The media played that like it was some sort of outrageous statement. Once again, the threat from outside sources is far less severe and grave than what's happening within our country. I think that's totally logical and reasonable. Over the past couple of years, but it seems like 10 minutes, shoplifting has been legalized. Marijuana is everywhere. We used to be a country, you know, we strove to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, now it's all about color of their skin. Now it's all about gender. This is now a civil right. We are in big trouble, and the threat is from within. Drag queens coming to a public school to hang around with children. This is somehow righteous and sanctioned by the Democrat Party, by corporate America, not having a border. This is somehow good for the country? Of course not. But there are evil, sinister forces, yes, here, that don't want our country to look like America anymore. How about the options that consumers have, right? The options. Isn't it up to us what we drive? You can see it. The Democrat Party wants to dictate, they're warming up to it, what we can drive and if we can drive. You know, we lost Afghanistan. It sent a message to the world that we are weak, that we are a dying country, and we are. Right now, we face a threat, and this is worse than anything I think that's happened since, well, the Japanese and the Nazis wanted to take over the world. Back then, thank God, we had the greatest generation. From 1941 to 1945, they stepped up. And talk about leaving your comfort zone. That doesn't look very comfortable, huh? Waiting uh, over to the beach at Normandy. Half of these guys are going to be shot dead. That's way outside their comfort zone. So, again, we have to get outside of our comfort zone, all right? We have to do something. Anything, no matter if you can do a lot or a little, you got to start doing something. And I'm going to review it one more time, if you don't mind. What can we do? We can donate money. We can raise money. This is important, folks. Once you give $10 to your favorite candidate, <laughs> you're a political player. And every campaign in the universe is going to bother you on email. But it's a small price to pay. Hmm? Even if it's 10 bucks. okay? Remember... A 10,000 people giving $1 is better than one guy giving $10,000. You can post on social media and not worry about the consequences. You can write letters. You can vote. How many people blew off uh, Election Day uh, a couple of weeks ago? Lots of us did. We can't do that. We have to vote. We have to study the Constitution. And we, because do you know what the Eighth Amendment is? Do you know what the Ninth Amendment is? I'm a little vague on it myself. We have to know our rights and we can support conservatives like Ted Cruz. He's got a new book. It's called Unwoken. He has some ideas how we can fight uh, Marxism in America, cultural Marxism in America. Um, we have to do it. Again, the greatest generation did it. And that's kind of what they look like here. Iwo Jima, right? Mount Sarabachi at Iwo Jima. Well, we don't have that kind of battle anymore. Let's take a look at today's heroes, those folks who go to those school board meetings and say, you are not sexualizing my child. These are the heroes. And we all have to be like these folks, active, whether we have kids or not. This is, uh, I think, one of the best iconic pictures ever. People were making fun of him because he had a dad bod. You know what? He showed up to say, 
Transgender boys should not be in the girls' room. One of them attacked and sexually assaulted his daughter, and he got arrested for that. What would our founding fathers think about this moment? Government is not doing what it should be, and they're doing what it shouldn't be. They are so far outside their area of responsibility and into weird things. And who's making money every step of the way? Guys like Joe Biden. They have milked the system every step of the way. He's been doing it. Look at that goofy smile. Look at all that stuff he has. All of these guys have made out like bandits. Look at our past several presidents, huh? Let's start with uh, Bill Clinton. In 1976, when he first entered public office, he lived in that little, very nice cottage. When he left office, what did he have? <laughs> you name it, all right? Like a rock star. That's what they're in it for. The money, the perks, and often the babes. Next, please. Barack Obama started off quite modestly when he got into politics, an apartment with his wife in Chicago. <laughs> After the presidency, Obama rolls like a billionaire because he is a billionaire. We're looking at, I think, one-tenth of his real estate empire, that mansion on Martha's Vineyard. He has another mansion in Hawaii, the thing in Washington, D.C., another crib in Chicago. It goes on and on. And let's take a look, please. Joe Biden in 1971. He didn't have much. He was only 29. And what does he have today? All this stuff, all that time in public service. Hmm? Suspicious? You're damn right. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, you know when he acquired Mar-a-Lago in 1985? And he still has Mar-a-Lago, all right? <laughs> he didn't gain anything from the presidency. Trump Tower, that thing was completed in the mid-1980s. Yeah, he still has it. Show me how his quality of life has increased, his possessions increased since he went into politics. They haven't. He gave instead of took. Here's another taker, Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. Hey, career politician, huh? You know, it's got to do something to your head when you're 49 years old and you're an ex-Speaker of the House of Representatives, and then you go around making money. What is his job? He is the occupant of the office of the 54th Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, the office. The op not the current Speaker, the office of the 54th Speaker goes around with him. And... Also, at the age of 49, when you don't have one portrait in your honor, you don't have two portraits in your honor, you have three portraits hanging of Paul Ryan on Capitol Hill, one for being the chair of this committee, that committee, and the speaker. This has got to do strange things to your head. It's not about us, it's about them. And this is something interesting, too. The White House. We all know the White House, of course. And where is the White House? We all know it's on... Pennsylvania Avenue right in front, okay? Uh, and next to the White House is actually part of the White House. That's the EEOB, the Eisenhower Executive Office Building. Uh, huge staff of the White House, most of them actually work there. And in between the White House and the EEOB is something called West Executive Avenue. You probably haven't heard of it. You probably haven't been on it. It's a privileged street that you need White House access to drive on. And it's the name of a business. Yeah. West Exec Advisors, a very specialized firm in Washington, D.C., full of former and future public officials. Take a look at what they can do for you. West Exec Advisors, name for that street. Founded by Tony Blinken. 
you may be familiar with him, the Secretary of State. He started this private firm and made many, many millions just a couple of years ago between government jobs. He was part of the government in waiting and part of the government that was trying to sabotage the real government under Donald Trump. This is what West Exec Advisors can do for you and your company. We create significant advantages for our clients by providing unparalleled expertise on the external factors and relationships that affect businesses. Our team has worked together around the White House Situation Room table, deliberating and deciding our nation's foreign and national security policies. Let's go to the Situation Room. And there he is, Tony Blinken in the Obama administration. He gets out of that job, starts this firm, makes millions, represents clients like Boeing, who, by the way, may have an interest in selling arms, selling arms to the Ukrainians, right? Good for business, good for Tony. Is it good for America? Not so clear. I'll get back to Tony in just a second. Today, right now, President Xi of China with Joe Biden in California. And, well, I just don't trust Joe Biden to do America's business because he's so entangled in the Hunter Biden, the Biden family business. And they have a lot of entanglements in China. But this brings me back to Tony. Bizarre behavior from Tony today. The secretary of state sitting next to Joe Biden looks visibly upset and distressed. Why would that be? At one point, he seems to be on the verge of tears. It's very bizarre. And then I realized, oh, yeah, this is probably very, very awkward for him, considering one of the things he was doing out of government just a few short years ago with then ex-Vice President Joe Biden. It is incredibly important that we be there to be at the center of shaping the national policy debate about our place in the world. We want this to be a gathering place, a gathering place for people with good ideas and people who want to learn and uh, to be exposed to policymakers here and abroad. You think it's all about just teaching kids from the University of Pennsylvania, you know, Joe's view of the world, a few classes here and there. Does it take $77 million from China to run a symposium for students? UPenn donations from China, $77 million over. We don't know how much of that went to the Penn Biden Center, but we know it's a lot. We know it's a lot. And who worked at the Penn Biden Center? And who was smiling back then? Yeah, Tony Blinken. <laughs> That's Tony on the left there. He's all smiles there. But today, a totally different Tony. What do you think the problem could be? Something is up. I've been emotional at times. I know what it's like when you want to be alone and you can't handle it and you feel like the whole world is coming down on you. Something is going on here. Um, and it's a long time coming. Tony Blinken. We got a warning about him from John McCain years ago. John McCain. I like John McCain. Got a little weird at the end, but uh, Joe Biden loved John McCain. Why didn't Joe Biden listen to him about Tony Blinken?
This individual has actually been dangerous to America and to the young men and women who are fighting and serving it. I'll move on to Afghanistan. Mr. Uh, <coughs> Blinken said, quote, we've been very clear, we've been consistent. The war will be concluded by the end of 2014. We have a timetable, and that timetable will not change. This is why I'm so worried about him being in the position that he's in. And that was in 2014 when Tony Blinken was up for the number two spot at the State Department. Now he's running the State Department, sitting next to the president of the United States across from our number one enemy, President Xi of China. And he doesn't have his act together, and he's a threat to national security. Just ask John McCain, or just listen, we can't ask him anymore. And Tony is also possibly, well, we know, involved in the Biden family business. You know, Hunter could grab Tony Blinken even when Tony was the deputy of the State Department back in 2015. Hunter hits him up. Hey, I'd like to have a coffee. I want to talk about a couple of things. Anthony Blinken drops everything. Absolutely. The deputy secretary of state, the number two person, goes and sees Hunter about things. What else could Tony be worried about? And Joe, too, for that matter, as they sit across from President Xi. It's been documented. We know that $3 million at least was transferred from various interests in China to uh, Biden family interests in this country. Those text messages, those coercive text messages that Hunter sent. Uh, that Chinese official with his dad allegedly sitting right next to him. Uh, what else? The house, the wire transfer, money that was wired to Wilmington, Delaware, from China to Joe's house when Hunter wasn't there. Very strange. Very strange indeed. And then the Air Force Two trip to China. I mean, look, the, if I know all this stuff, President Xi knows all this stuff. Absolutely. And that makes Joe compromised. And half of his um, efforts are spent just kind of covering that up or pretending it didn't happen. He is not all in for America. With all that baggage, he can't be. And we're at a real disadvantage right now. When we come back, Ted Cruz, one of my favorites in the United States Senate and his new book. It's good. Be right back. Information. Truth. Is power. Is freedom. Is money. Is health. Is Newsmax. Millions watch it. So can you. Newsmax is real news for real people. Well, there's Senator Ted Cruz doing some of what he does best, uncovering the truth, cross-examining uh, witnesses. It really is amazing to uh, behold. You know, even his enemies say he's one of the smartest people uh, they've ever met, one of the smartest Americans ever, perhaps. He's got a new book. It's called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas. Welcome back to Newsmax. Congratulations on the book and the verdict with Ted Cruz, one of the hottest podcasts in the world. Congratulations. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Why this book? Why now? I mean, I, we know about the danger, but tell us your thinking behind it. Well, look, the world has gone crazy. Uh, we are seeing what we're seeing in, in Washington. It's more extreme. It's more radical than it's ever been. And I wrote this book to try to explain how the heck this happened. And, and in particular, what this book addresses is how the radical left 
seized every major institution of America. And each chapter of the book addresses a different institution. So it starts off with universities. And I, I call universities the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. They're where, they're where it was created, they're where it's mutated, where it's spread. From universities, the next chapter goes on to K through 12 education, and then journalism, and then government, and then big business, and then big tech, and then entertainment, Hollywood, movies, TV, sports, music, and then science, the politicization of science. And the last chapter deals with China and how China is a nexus intertwining them all. And what the book does is two things. It explains how and why the radical left infiltrated these institutions from within. And then even more importantly, it lays out a clear and practical battle plan for us to take these institutions back, because if we don't take them back, we're going to lose our country. Is the battle plan for you and your colleagues and office holders, um, or how about regular your readers, like regular people? Yes, yes. What it is can a battle we plan for everyone? And, and and the battle plan is really three parts. Number one is sunshine and transparency. Look, the ideas of the radical left are wildly unpopular. They only are able to force them through using power and coercion and using indoctrination, so shining a light. So for example, K through 12 education, I talk about what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a teenage girl was sexually assaulted by a boy wearing a skirt in the girl's restroom. The school district covered it up. They denied that it happened because their political ideology was more important than protecting the kids. And the result, it infuriated moms and dads across Virginia, and it flipped Virginia from a blue state to a red state because moms got engaged. And by the way, parents are doing this all across the country. I'm supporting school board candidates throughout Texas and we're winning victories because when you shine a light, you can defeat these wildly unpopular ideas. That's number one. Number two is changing the cost benefit analysis for institutions to increase the costs of going woke. And I do a deep dive in the chapter on big business on what happened on Bud Light and Target, where both of them went woke and lost tens of billions of dollars. And that disincentive, we need to increase the disincentive for, for, for giving in to the cultural Marxist. And number three, Greg, I encourage conservatives and libertarians who've been successful in business to invest in the organs of transmission of ideas. Buy a TV station, buy a radio station, buy a movie studio, buy a book publishing house, buy a record label, fight in the world of ideas. And my model for this, by the way, is Elon Musk's buying Twitter was the single most important step for free speech in decades. We need to invest in the battlefield of ideas and not cede the terrain to a leftist monopoly. Oh, I love it. It's all an unwoke. I, you know, I've come up with some more modest proposals, like people should write letters to their congressmen, post on social media, vote, know your rights. A lot of folks don't know the Eighth yeah. Amendment from yeah. the Ninth Amendment. Can I ask you this, though? Um, if we do that, if we get vocal, I, I'm suspicious of big tech. You know, they want us yes. watching TV shows and just sitting around and being numb to all this and watching guys like you on TV wage right. the fight. We can't do that, can we? We got to no, get engaged. It's got to be everybody. And, and look, big tech, there's a whole chapter on big tech and the pervasive censorship of big tech. And by the way, we're seeing it right now. Look, look at what's happening on the headlines right now. We've got, number one, the war on Israel, which is tragic. 
But we've got anti-Semitic riots and protests at universities across the country. And this is a manifestation of cultural Marxism. And not only that, we have big tech, we have institutions like TikTok controlled by the Chinese communists that are pushing pro-Hamas propaganda and and are brainwashing young people. Mm. And and, and that underscores the need to fight back because this is this is exactly what the cultural marxists are seeking to do and 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 if we don't fight back we're going to wake up and the country's gone so i think it's almost two years ago you raised these questions with the fbi about january 6. these questions still have not been answered not answered today by director ray this was a remarkable moment i'll never forget it you with a senior fbi official let's take a look at that miss sandberg i want to turn to the fbi How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. It's just amazing. And now they're kind of saying, well, we didn't orchestrate anything, but they won't go any further than that. My sense is they had people there and those people did not (laughs) do anything to prevent the attack. Call for backup. Call for more reinforcements. Have you gotten closer to the answers you want about January 6th? No, they utterly and completely stonewall. I've been asking those questions at hearings. I've been asking those questions in writing. I've I've been and and they just they, they defiantly This Department of Justice, this FBI, has a brazen arrogance that they believe they're not accountable to anybody. They believe they're not accountable to Congress. They just defy. When when we ask them questions, they do what you just saw right there. They refuse to answer. But they fundamentally believe they're not accountable to the American people. And this is something also that I discuss uh, in in this new book, Unwoke, is, is the takeover of the cultural Marxist of government, the weaponization of the Department of Justice, of the FBI, of our legal system as a tool to attack your political enemies. This White House uses DOJ and the FBI to go after their political enemies. And and, and right now there is zero accountability. And I got to say, Senate Democrats don't want to know the answer to those questions. And so I'm going to keep pressing. But, but the real way to get accountability is we've got to win in November a year from now and put new leadership in there that cleans house because there are hard partisans that have burrowed in and that are utterly defiant of the rule of law. You know, your job is in the Constitution. The assistant FBI director's job is not. And to see her yeah. sitting there not answering the questions, hey, do me uh, 10 seconds. If you get majority again, if saner heads prevail and we, you're back in power in a real way, you already have plenty of influence. Ashley Babbitt, are you as concerned as I am and a lot of our viewers are that we don't know uh, nearly enough about that case and um, we don't like it. We don't like the way she died and yeah. we, think, uh, you know, we think there has to be accountability. Right, look, there has been very little transparency into what exactly transpired with the use of deadly force. It is, it is tragic. She was a veteran whose life was taken that day, and I think there needs to be transparency in, in, in terms of what transpired. 
this administration doesn't want any transparency. They, they, they want to cover up uh, what happened that day. And they deliberately conflate acts of violence by, by a limited number of people. And if you commit an act of violence, regardless of your politics, if you're left wing, right wing, or wherever you are, if you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. But they deliberately conflate acts of violence with peaceful protests, the tens of thousands of people on January 6th that were there exercising their First Amendment right, and the Biden Justice Department wants to smear every one of them. It's profoundly cynical. Uh, it is It is amazing. Well, anyway, we're, we're glad we've got guys like you out there fighting this fight. Ted Cruz, the book is Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Senator Cruz, many, many thanks. Greg, thank you very much. And let me say to all your viewers, the book is in every bookstore. It's on Amazon.com. Buy a copy. It's fun. It's readable. And I'll mention to you, Christmas is just around the corner. It makes a great Christmas gift. Buy a copy for your mom. Buy it for your best friend. Even better, buy it for your crazy left-wing neighbor to try to knock some sense into him. <laughs> and even better than that, buy it for your kids and grandkids so they can understand the garbage that people are trying to indoctrinate them with. All right. I'm doing the best I can. I already bought one book. I'll buy a few more now. <laughs> Senator Cruz, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Greg. We'll be right back. You bet. Newsmax. Shoots it straight. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. Newsmax. They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. All right. Probably too early to tell, but maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, how is America faring as the president sits down with the president of China? This is, uh, I think we're on thin ice here. I'd like to bring in the experts. Gordon Shang, of course, um, author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War, and an expert all things China and more. Fred Flights, fellow at the America First Policy Institute and a veteran of the Trump administration's national security team. Gentlemen, we have some clips and that kind of thing. But Gordon, first, your overall reaction from everything you saw today so far. Well, President Biden just spoke to the press conference with his initial remarks and had a sort of superficial logic to it. But if you looked at it in the context of U.S.-China relations over the last three decades of intensive diplomacy, uh, what the president, our president said was, first of all, either naive or cynical, because we have heard all of this before. You know, for instance, the president talked uh, with some emotion about fentanyl. And yes, um, it's nice of the sense that the Chinese said they're not going to send fentanyl to Mexico anymore. But they told the Trump administration that about five years ago, and they dishonored every promise they made to the U.S. So, you know, I think that President Biden has a long ride um, here because he's got to convince the American public over the long course that his agreements made sense. And by the way, it was important that Xi Jinping was not there. You know, we have had, for instance, President Obama say, oh, you know, Xi Jinping agreed to this. He agreed to that. That was September 2015. The Chinese dishonored every promise that President Obama outlined. I'm afraid that we're going to go through the same dynamic now. You mentioned the press conference. Actually, uh, let's take a quick look. It wrapped up not too long ago. As you know, I just concluded several hours of meetings with President Xi, and I believe they were some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. I've been meeting with President Xi since both of us were vice president over 10 years ago. Our meetings have always been candid and straightforward. We haven't always agreed, but they've been straightforward. 
and today build on the groundwork related with the past several months of high-level diplomacy between our teams. We've made some important progress. Yeah, it's like a, a Wikipedia thing that you say after a meeting like that. But he, I thought he said destructive. Did he misspeak? Did you hear destructive, Fred? I think I did hear that. But I had two observations here. First of all, we just heard Biden go down a long laundry list of things that he brought up with Xi, and he probably did. But you know what was wrong here? There was no joint press conference. We didn't hear from Xi. Now, basically, if they were both there, we would know whether Biden really said these things or what she thinks was discussed. That's the first thing. The second thing is, why did she give Biden this meeting? He's been avoiding Biden for over a year. There's one reason. He's worried about President Trump. He thinks President Trump is going to win the election next year, and the Chinese government realizes it's time to prop up Joe Biden. It's time to give him photo ops. It's time to show that he looks like an effective leader, because they're scared to death of Donald Trump coming back in the White House and putting China in its place. Gordon, uh, is that what he's trying to do, prop up Joe Biden? And are they done meeting? Are they? I mean, it looks like they're going to meet tomorrow, or is it over? Well, at least Xi Jinping and, and um, Joe Biden, that's over. Um, the Apex summit, which will go on for three or four days. Um, but really, this has been the highlight of it. You know, uh, what Fred said was absolutely right. Uh, I think they are very concerned about President Trump being reelected. And the other thing is that the Chinese economy right now is in severe distress. And Xi Jinping needs foreign money. And what Joe Biden did by having this meeting and by saying the things he just mentioned a few moments ago is basically he's coming to the rescue of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, American presidents have done that. Uh, Nixon did that. George H.W. Bush did that. Bill Clinton did it. We don't need to do that again because we know that uh, as soon as we effect that rescue, China becomes stronger. They then go on the attack again. All right. I want to show I show this earlier. Uh, Blinken right next to the president there. And you know, I've, I've noticed before that he looks weak, but I've never seen him this emotional and agitated. I don't know what's going on there. I, 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 it, it's remarkable. I mean, diplomats, aren't they supposed to have poker face? I mean, this guy looks like he's really worried that the cops are going to come <laughs> come in and arrest them. I mean, I'm sorry, Fred. Am I, <laughs> what do you see there? I think he looked very uncomfortable. Remember when Blinken went to China, she would not meet with him one-on-one. -on -one. He sat at the end of the table with a bunch of officials, and a couple days later, Bill Gates met with him one-on-one. -on -one. He's met with the governor of California one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, the Chinese government knows that Blinken is a third stringer, which makes Biden's national security policy even weaker. Wow. All right. So um, does this help Joe Biden get reelected? I mean, it's kind of sad. I think that's what the Biden team is thinking of. Right. That's how they they want. Everything's about the reelection. Right. We know that. Is that true, Gordon? I think that it won't. And the reason is if the election were held today, you know, people would say, oh, it's great that we've got all these agreements with China. But as time progresses, we're going to see the same dynamic that we have uh, witnessed three decades. And that is China says things that we want to hear and we delay taking action to protect the American people. And the Chinese win through just more obstruction, more delay. And I think that's what's going to occur between now and the election in a year from now. So I don't think this helps Joe Biden because I think the American people have a lot smarter than the foreign policy elites in Washington and New York. Uh, I have one more clip to share with you from the press conference that's uh, just wrapped up. Go ahead. 
I welcome the positive steps we've taken today. And it's important for the world to see that we're implementing the approach in the best traditions of American diplomacy. We're talking to our competitors and the key and, and just just talking, just made blunt with one another. So there's no misunderstanding as a key element to maintaining global stability and delivering for the American people. How about that? They can talk on the phone. They can call people making something basic sound innovative and special. Uh, and it is weird that he, let's face it, he can't hold his own with another world leader on the stage. He didn't do it with Putin, and he can't do it with Xi. That's why he's not there, because, you know, he could, he could really take a, a turn for the worse, right? We've all seen it, Fred. You know, a bizarre aspect of this administration is that there's been very little dialogue between the United States and Russia. I can't explain it at various levels. I don't think the Chinese wanted to deal with Biden because they think he's incompetent. But there have been opportunities through this administration for senior officials to meet with the Russian and Chinese counterparts, and they refused to do so. And I think that made this relationship even worse. This was supposed to be the adult team, the foreign policy expert team, but we now know that that's far from the case. Fred Flights, thank you very much. Gordon Chang, thank you. God help us all. Thanks, guys. This is a very uh, uneasy time. Thank you, gentlemen, and we'll be right back. So all these indictments of Donald Trump, they're not working, and they are starting to panic on the left. Watching MSNBC, they know it. They have not been able to stop him. He's up in the polls, Donald Trump is, so they're resorting to just... Over-the-top, totally ludicrous rhetoric that nobody is buying, not even them. It is easy to become desensitized to the litany of outrageous things that Donald Trump has said over the years. But there is a reason that historians are concerned about Mr. Trump's latest stump speech. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists... Marxist, fascist, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Calling your political opponents vermin and the threat from within, we, we've heard that before. In Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler referred to Jews as vermin worthy of eradication. And Benito Mussolini would refer to his opponents as parasites and reptiles. So Donald Trump is following in some appalling and notorious footsteps of the most violent, dangerous men of the 20th century. Uh, you see what's happening here? All right. Now, what did uh, Mussolini say? Somebody was a reptile? I'm not proud of it, but at one point I did say, I take it back that uh, Mitch McConnell looked a little bit like a turtle. I did say that. That doesn't make me a monster, okay? I think half of all politicians are parasites, you know, leeching and not producing anything. The, this is acceptable political speech, right? But they're trying to make him out to be Hitler. It is over the top and no one's buying it. But it is amusing. Very same stump speech talking about the home invasion and the brutal attack on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, an attack that was carried out by a right-wing extremist. Nancy Pelosi is a crazed lunatic. She's a lunatic. She is a crazed lunatic. What the hell was going on with her husband? Let's not ask. Let's not ask. 
I'll withdraw that statement. By the way, she's got a wall around her house. Obviously, in that case, it didn't work very well. Nancy Pelosi is a crazed lunatic. That kind of glorification of violence, that call to abandon empathy, to stop seeing our shared humanity, that is no longer just Donald Trump. That rhetoric and that behavior has invaded Trump's entire party. You can't make fun of Nancy Pelosi. Only Nancy Pelosi can call people crazy like she did, told everybody that she thought Trump was crazy and tried to kind of organize a movement against him with the military. I know he's crazy. Any book, it hasn't. She was yelling and screaming, sometimes to his face. You're crazy. I'm leaving. She can do it. And you know what? It's okay to talk about the Paul Pelosi case. It was weird. And did she say the accused in that matter was a right-wing extremist? That is not true. Mixed up young man, definitely. Uh, but he was a nudist. He was a peacenik. He, uh, he was all over the place ideologically. Probably a bit unstable. And whatever did happen that night, I'm sorry, it was kind of weird. I don't want anything bad to happen to Paul Pelosi. We don't like violence. I don't like violence. But it was weird. And you know what? It's, uh, well, Paul has had his issues. Remember when he was pulled over for drunk driving? I mean, the guy has uh, had some episodes over the past uh, two years or so, maybe longer. Yeah, actually longer. There's a lot more we could talk about with Paul Pelosi, but we're going to leave it alone for now. One more thing from this um, hysterical person at MSNBC. This is Trump's effect on the Republican Party, a party whose worship of white male machismo appears to be turning into something brutal and cruel, where violence isn't just an accepted outcome in American life, but a necessary outcome. Well, if it weren't so ridiculous, I would be insulted. All right. I mean, we're not about violence. And, you know, isn't it OK to be a little bit macho? Macho is actually OK. White male machismo, the way she says it. And what does white male have to do with anything? She's great. I think she should ask her husband. And you know why she's so passionate? Maybe her husband, this guy, uh, Cass, K-A-S-S, white male machismo. Maybe he's got some. I don't know. But he was a cook for Barack Obama. So we better be careful. I'll be right back. So this is Helena Hutchinson. Do you remember her? She was the young cinematographer, uh, married mother of, I think, uh, one child who was shot and killed by Alec Baldwin. Yeah, Alec Baldwin, the notorious hothead. Look, I don't think Alec Baldwin meant it, uh, but he may have said a bit too much in this interview a while back with George Stephanopoulos. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. Never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger. All right. Again, I don't think he did it on purpose. Uh, but the pulling of the trigger thing, uh, we have some footage obtained by NBC News. And it looks like he's blasting all over the place that very day with a gun. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Set, 
One more, one more, one more. All right, so then they cut. Looks like he's pulling the trigger to me. Um, but something we see in this footage is about four minutes long. He actually uh, seems like a pro, and he's always talking about safety. It is interesting, and it's probably going to come up, and it should come up in whatever trial they have. Take a look at this. Now, wait a second. If I'm going to shoot right, you want to go on the other side of the camera? I don't want to shoot toward you. Okay, right here. Okay. I'm going to shoot close to you. Here we go. Set. Here we go. Ah. Ready. And action. Ah. 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 All right. And we think sometime later that day, he shoots and kills the uh, cinematographer, Helena Hutchinson. I don't think he meant to do it. It's up to a jury at some point. A uh, bit of a hothead, needs to calm down. But it's interesting. You know, he'll go on shows now when this doesn't come up. The power of celebrity, maybe? I don't know. I also think he's not a... Remember when he made that nasty voicemail to his uh, daughter, Ireland, right? I actually thought it was kind of cool in a weird way. He was trying to get into his daughter's life. He wasn't like, leave me alone. Is like, I want to be with you, so be there. And the other thing is, oh, this is why I really don't like him, though. Bad Trump impression. He played him stupid, and Trump is not stupid. He's totally wrong, got way too much credit for that. And I'll be right back. Have you got Newsmax Plus yet? You don't know what you're missing. You got to check it out. Newsmaxplus.com. Sign up and you'll get the whole uh, Newsmax package. You get Newsmax 2, you get Newsmax, and you get access to all of our archival stuff, specials, movies, TV shows, uh, some that you haven't seen and some that you have. The Greta Show, Rob Schmidt, this show. It's great stuff. It's really pennies, pennies. I think it's like five bucks a month. We'd so appreciate it, Okay. And so would my family. Uh, can I show you? Who do we have today? Uh, I think this is, yep, sure enough, Annalise, the three-year-old, the bigger one on the right, and Madeline. Look at those scooters. They're getting so good on those scooters. I am so proud. And that's the show for tonight. I will see you tomorrow. All the best.